Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher in New York City, and this week the mask mandate was lifted in fabulous Las Vegas, which is a sign of good things to come for poker players who are eagerly awaiting the schedule for the 2022 World Series of Poker. Yeah, it seems like I want to knock on wood or throw some salt over my shoulder or whatever as I say this, but it seems like the uh, coronavirus situation is calming down. And more realistically, I think that Government officials are starting to realize this thing is never going away. It's going to continue to mutate. It's going to continue to spread. And there's going to be waves. So, yeah. I mean, get vaccinated if you want to get vaccinated. Wear a mask if you want to wear a mask. But the government in Nevada is no longer forcing people to walk around with pieces of cloth covering their noses and mouths. And for one, I think that is a step in the right direction. And I'm hoping that by the time summer rolls around, the case rate, the death rate, the hospitalization rate, the infection rate, and all the other rates are way down and that we're not thinking about COVID day in and day out while we're trying to focus on whether or not to check raise the loose, aggressive Norwegian pro two to our left. So I'm very excited to get this great news. It's also happening here in New York. Cases are down across the board. Um, We still have a vaccine mandate in place, but they also simultaneously removed the mask mandate that's been in place for a few months here in New York City. So good news there. And we're all eagerly awaiting, as I mentioned, the uh, release of the schedule. I was told off the record that it was coming out in the middle of January (laughs) by someone who claimed to know. So there must have been some kind of snag that was hit that caused them to delay the releasing of the schedule. But obviously, many of us make our summer plans around the World Series of Poker and, of course, the other tournaments that take place uh, around then. And it's about that time when you might want to start booking your flights and your hotels and everything. And for those who are not planning to stay for the entire series, knowing what the schedule is, is a uh, prerequisite for booking that travel. So obviously, it would be great if they could finally let us know what's going to be happening. If you can believe it, just over three months away is the 2022 World Series of Poker. It seems like just yesterday, I was playing the 2021 World Series of Poker And I still have a pretty bad taste in my mouth from playing 30-some-odd tournaments and only having two caches to show for it, neither of which was anything to write home about, by the way. So, yeah, thank goodness for the uh, juicy cash games that I found myself playing in. Otherwise, it would have been a disastrous World Series of Poker, as it was uh, not not very good anyway. (laughs) So I'm ready to avenge the uh, 2021 results, and I just can't wait to go and play with no mask on at the win. 
So, yeah, uh, speaking of the win, there was some news released last week about the reopening of the, I don't know what they call it, but the Wynn Casino in Boston. I think it's called like Encore Boston Harbor, something like that. Well, they reopened the poker room there and to the chagrin of many regulars in the Boston area, they discovered upon sitting down at their tables that the rake had been, shall we say, adjusted uh, prior to covid the rake at that casino was $5, and now it is $10. Also, they have way fewer tables than they used to have in the old days, and they, uh, they say that's because of staffing concerns, etc. But yeah, people have been asking me what I think about this $10 rake for most of the cash games in Boston. And, you know, look, guys, I, I think it's not cool. You guys know I love the win. I always sing the praises of the Win Las Vegas poker room here on the podcast. Uh, but about this, I just think that uh, this is an act of greed and a bit short-sighted. Like, sure, right now there's a lot of pent-up demand players in that area that want to go play. But you end up, what you're going to end up doing in the long run is players are going to go broke faster. And the casino is going to have all the money, but then they're not going to have players anymore. Now, for those who have seen the list... Uh, the waiting list for some of these games in Boston, they have over 100 names on them. They're thinking, well, Clayton, that's not going to happen anytime soon. But once players realize that it is extremely hard, if not impossible, to beat a small stakes cash game with a $10 rake, they are going to find other ways to spend their entertainment dollars. And the pros will end up going online or to a place like Foxwoods, even though if you're a Boston resident, that's a pretty long drive. I don't think that anyone is going to be able to make a living with a $10 rake. So yeah, it's 10%, of course, up to $10. So not every pot will be raked $10. And this is what you'll find in a lot of the cash games in places like Sweden and London. Like they do have higher rake in Europe. Certainly Australia, the cash game rake is absolutely brutal everywhere I've played Melbourne Sydney not good but this is a bad move by win both in terms of player relations and publicity but even more just trying to develop a player base in that area once they open the remaining tables they're going to have a lot more seats to fill and it's going to be harder to fill them if they've already collected all of the money from the existing player pool so I hate seeing this. You guys know that I am a rake knit and that I always pay attention to rake in tournaments. Well, cash games are no different. It is very hard to beat a game with a rake like that. So shame on you, win, encore, Boston Harbor, whatever you're called. Me no likey. Now, I want to talk about Spotify for a minute and not the same Spotify conversation I've been having in the comedy clubs all week. <laughs> Those of you who are familiar with the Joe Rogan story know what I'm uh, alluding to there. But yeah, I want to talk about Spotify in terms of those of you who listen to this podcast on Spotify. They now have a feature where you can rate our podcast one to five stars. And we would greatly appreciate those of you who really enjoy the podcast if you could kindly give us that all-important five-star rating. 
Don't give us a four-star rating unless you're trying to do damage. It's either, really, the five-star rating system is five or zero. So we want to get our overall rating as close to five as possible. You don't have to put in any comments. You don't have to say anything about me or about TPE or about anything else. You just have to click on a star rating. And anyone who takes the time to do that for us, I would consider it a personal favor as we try to get noticed on the Spotify podcast platform where listeners like you have so many options from which to choose. And we really do appreciate you listening to this one. And if you enjoy it, you like this free content, we try to put it out every single week. One way you can say thank you that would actually go a long way is by clicking that five-star rating on Spotify. All right, enough about that. I want to continue our discussion of my main event 2021 edition. I mean, I guess I already spoiled things by telling you guys I did not have a good World Series of Poker, but anyone who's been listening to every episode already knew that anyway, so I guess it's not that big of a spoiler. But we want to just uh, get into a couple of hands here uh, that I played in November. So uh, just to recap, we ended day one with a very short stack. We were in the bottom 5% of the field heading into day two and not particularly optimistic about our prospects of getting back into contention for the championship bracelet as we started day two with an M of six. Well, when we last left our hero, he had built his stack up to around 60,000, a little bit over the starting stack. I think it was 66,000 at the end of that, uh, those hands that we talked about last time. And that was kind of a milestone. Those of you who play a lot of tournaments, you know that sometimes you'll start off the tournament going the wrong direction, maybe lose a few big pots early on. And then the goal from there, in a psychological sense, is, well, I'd just be happy to get back to the starting stack. So I'm at least even with the people who are late regging right now. So that is something that's kind of in my head, although the actual 60,000 number is not much different than 58,000 or 64,000. Like, what's the difference? But it just kind of feels good in an emotional sense and for one's personal confidence just to get back above the starting stack. So, you know, in the black or whatever. But yeah, at the end of the day, obviously, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. It's just something psychological that I am personally susceptible (laughs) to caring about, and I'm sure many of you are as well. So that was a good place to uh, end the, the last episode where I managed to get my stack back above starting stack for the first time since uh, basically level two of day one. So now we're going to discuss today a few hands that I played, uh, one right before dinner on day two and one right after. So at this point, uh, I'm skipping ahead because a lot of good things continue to happen on day two. Once we got up to 66,000, we were basically off to the races from there. Uh, There was a really big pot where I had pocket aces and got three streets of value against a top pair, top kicker type of hand. Um, There was another spot where I flopped a flush against a set and we got it all in on the flop um, and I held. So long story short, those hands aren't that interesting. They're fun for me to remember and reminisce about. But as far as uh, strategy, 
yeah, when you have the nuts, go ahead and bet. You know, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't think there's anyone listening to this that doesn't know it's good to try to get chips in the middle when one has the nuts. So I'm going to skip those hands, but let's just say for the narrative, uh, things went very, very well in the first few hours of day two. So now here we are approaching the dinner break and the blinds are 6,000, 12,000, and we have 300,000 in our stack. So this is right around the dinner break of day two. There's still quite a long way to go until we reach the money. There's something like 900 players yet to bust out before we hit the, the first pay jump going from zero to 15,000. This is not a bubble hand. There are no real bubble considerations here, but the average stack at this point is about 400,000. So we're still below average, but we're definitely in much better shape than we were when we started the day with something like 9,700. So wow, what a day we have had so far. Uh, we have 25 big blinds. Our M is 10, however you want to look at it. The under the gun player raises to 25,000. Again, the blinds are 6,000, 12,000, and the action folds to us on the button holding pocket eights, the eight of diamonds, eight of hearts. So we have two red eights, and our opponent has us covered. He's got 550,000, so he's doing very well. He's uh, got a well above average stack. He seems to me uh, that he's trying to play well. Um, he's a Spanish professional. Um, he's been tight, aggressive, but pretty cautious. I've noticed that several times um, he will call when he's been in the blinds. I happen to have hands. I raise it up. He defends his blind, maybe calls a bet on the flop and folds on the turn a lot. He hasn't been three betting or four betting a lot. He seems like he kind of wants to keep the pots small. The table overall is a pretty good one. So it kind of makes sense for him if he feels like he has a skill advantage to just build his stack up slowly by exploiting his opponent's post-flop mistakes rather than trying to get into a large pre-flop confrontation in a coin flip situation or something like that. So his strategy seems to be have something good, raise it up, and generally give up if he missed the flop. So He's not that tough to play against, but you have to give him credit because this strategy seems to be working very well for him at this particular table, which is fairly juicy. So uh, we have eights on the button. Again, 25 big blinds, M of 10, however you want to look at it. Uh, there's already 55,000 in the middle at the time that he opens the pot. So, you know, shoving here and taking it down sometimes is probably a profitable play uh you know we have a, a stack that's a little too big to shove very comfortably but since there's already fifty-five thousand in there we only have three hundred thousand in our stack you know obviously increasing our stack by one sixth is not nothing and also we might end up getting called by two over cards so the question becomes is this a spot where we want to try to get into a coin flip now i think his under the gun Raising range, based on the way he's been playing thus far, probably includes hands that will fold, like Jack-10 suited, Queen-Jack suited, like all those suited Broadway hands, I think, are opening here. Maybe not King-Jack suited, uh, but yeah, Jack-10 suited seems to be in everybody's opening range. He may occasionally show up with like an Ace-5 suited, Ace-10 suited, and assuming that the blinds fold, I think it's very likely that he will throw all of those hands away. 
So we certainly have some fold equity, but the problem for us is that he's been fairly tight and he's got a under the gun open here. So I feel like we will so often end up against hands like pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens, which are obviously not going to fold. And against those hands, we only have 18% equity. Now, a looser, more aggressive opponent who doesn't seem to care as much about position as this player, uh, I might be more comfortable getting this big of a stack in and expecting to often get those folds. Like if the guy's willing to open like eight, six of hearts here and he's got all of those suited one gappers, middling cards and hands like that, or, or some players will open hands pairs as bad as deuces. Like if he fit that player profile, I think shoving versus that range makes a lot more sense. I'm just thinking that when I'm called, I can only pray that it's a coin flip. And since I don't block any of the big pairs, of course, I don't block ace-king or ace-queen either, and they're calling for sure. Uh, but yeah, all things considered, I decided to take the more conservative route here and just call. You can also fold. You know, that might sound crazy to those of you who play faster tournaments with, uh, you know, more aggressive blind structures, but this is the main event. And there's actually nothing wrong with just folding and saying, you know what? I don't think I'm ahead often enough to make this profitable. This guy's a pretty decent player and I don't want to play it. That's just a little too tight for me. I feel like calling is fine. We are going to put in about 8% of our stack, which is not ideal when we're basically trying to flop a set. But you have to look at it. Also, there are other flops that we can win on that don't include an 8 especially when you consider that, as I mentioned, this opponent tends to give up on the turn. So if it comes like, I don't know, let's say king, 10, deuce, and he puts out a continuation bet and we call it, he will very often check the turn, especially when he doesn't have at least top pair. And then we can try to collect the pot by turning our eights into a bluff. Even though many times we'll be bluffing with the better hand, we're still going to want to bet that turn when he checks because we've seen his tendency to give up, which I think is exploitable in this spot. Now, some players, they'll always fire again on the turn. Some players will often fire again on this turn. On the turn, This particular player has hardly ever fired again on the turn, and the times that I've noticed him doing so, he actually had a real hand. So I don't think that he wants to play a huge pot with me where he doesn't have anything. So I can call and see what develops. So the, we're going to see this flop heads up and Clayton's in the on the button thinking, come on, eight. Well, the flop comes seven of spades, five of spades, deuce of clubs. So we actually flop the rare over pair with pocket eights, seven, five deuce with two clubs. So there's 80,000 in the pot and we have 275,000 behind. Our SPR is around three and a half. And we flopped an overpair. So it's not ideal for us to try to get all in with such a high SPR. The reason why is because when we do, we will almost always be up against a better hand. I don't believe our opponent has 8-7 or ace-7 suited in his range for opening under the gun. He may. He may occasionally mix in a hand like that just for what we used to call board coverage. So that when you flop a seven high, you, you can actually represent that hand or have that hand. Uh, but overall, I think against an opponent like this, getting all in with just a pair of eights 
with this many chips behind is going to be negative EV. So uh, that's not the plan. We're thrilled when our opponent bets only 20,000 into the 80,000 pot. So now we, we have an overpair and we're getting five to one on a call. So I think this is a pretty much a no-brainer call. There is a case to be made for raising. Uh, that case is mostly for protection. Uh, so we're trying to fold out hands like ace-king, uh, ace-queen that are getting, they're giving themselves a really good price to hit the uh, six outer on the turn to take the lead against our eights. Um, and if you want to raise here, I think you have to be planning to fold if opponent continues. So in other words, if we make it, let's say 70,000 and opponent re-raises, I think eights are probably almost never good against this opponent. So you, if you're doing that, you have to be willing to throw it away now. Also, if the opponent calls the raise and then fires again on the turn, I think we have to fold our eights. I'm very concerned that the eights will not be good if a lot of chips go in because of the player profile we already discussed. So for all those reasons, I decide to just call. I don't want to try to get all my chips in, and I also don't want to have to fold my eights. Remember, we have some backdoor draws going on here, which are always a good time. So let's just call and see what he does on the turn. And the turn is the six of diamonds. So the board is now seven, five, deuce, six with two clubs. Now the opponent bets 50,000 into the 120,000 pot. And we have to decide what to do with our 255,000 stack. Now, as mentioned, guys, I believe that this opponent will often have us beat when he continues on the turn. So right now his range is looking a lot like pocket kings, pocket aces, pocket queens, pocket jacks. They continue firing on the turn because a lot of draws are available, including the one that we have. We have not only an overpair, we now have an open-ended straight draw. So it becomes very important for him to price me out of this pot and at least pay to see a card that could complete my draw when I have something like just an open-ender. So uh, that means that he is probably protecting an overpair with this bet, and he bets the right amount. He bets 50,000 into 120,000, and we have to decide, we have to decide what to do with our 255,000 stack. So uh, I decide to just call. I don't mind shoving here. It really puts him to the test when he does have a hand like pocket queens, pocket jacks. Did I slow play a better over pair than that before the flop and am now getting, getting my medium short stack all in because I don't want to see any more cards come off. Uh, I'm trying to protect my better over pair, which I dangerously slow played. That could be one explanation. I also have straights and sets in my range that he does not have in his under the gun opening range. These low cards on this board are generally better for my range than they are for his, even though I call from the button and not from the small blind. Particularly when you think about the fact that I start this hand with an M of 25, a lot of my hands that could have missed this board are hands that I would have three bet or even shoved pre-flop, like ace-king, ace-queen suited, hands like that. 
So the fact that it's lower cards, those cards just hit my calling range a lot better. Like if I'm calling with pocket eights, am I not also calling with pocket sevens, pocket sixes, hands like that? Um, yeah, I think I would be. Pocket fives even is probably a justifiable call, a defensible call on the button after this player opened under the gun, especially given the fact that I kind of know how to play against him. So I've got my over pair slash open ender. I've got a lot going on here, but I still did not want to see him bet the turn based on what I know about his general playing style. So I don't think that I will get a ton of folds when he has a big pair like pocket aces or kings. I think those hands have to just make the shrug call. Uh, but possibly in the main event, you might have more fold equity with a big move like that than you would in some other tournament. However, I decided to just call despite the fact that I blocked the nuts. So I just call and I'm hoping to either complete my straight or for a club to come. So my strategy here on the turn is to call this bet knowing that I could have a flush draw. I don't know. Let's say king, queen of clubs. As far as he knows, I may have just flat called on my button with that hand, with my stack versus him. And now if another club comes off on the end and he checks, the plan is to shove and put him to a decision, knowing that he's very likely to have an overpair given that he bet the turn. Uh, there are maybe some other cards that I can represent as well, but mostly I'm hoping for a straight or a club on the river. So let's see what happens the river comes the nine of diamonds for a final board of seven five deuce six nine and giving us the beautiful the elegant and the lovely straight to the nine there is two hundred twenty thousand in the pot hero has only one hundred fifty five thousand behind and the spaniard leads once again this time for one hundred fifteen thousand so I am thrilled. I don't think he's ever going to have 10-8. There is a 0% chance that I'm beat at this point. Uh, so yeah, I have the straight and I'm dancing a jig in my head and I pretend to think for less than a minute and then move all in. And my opponent looks incredibly disturbed. It only costs him another 40000 to call. Uh, but you know what, guys? You're never pot committed if you're bluffing. And I don't know if he was bluffing or if he just was trying desperately to get three streets of value from one of those over pairs, in which case he probably overplayed it. Um, there's some chance that he actually made a set on this river and is trying to think to himself, well, how many eights does Clayton have? And trying to get value from uh, the part of my range that includes sets that I don't want to fold either. So I'm not really sure what was going on because I never saw his hand because when I moved all in for just 40,000 more, he reluctantly threw his hand away. So that was a beautiful turn of events for us. And it was the first time since level two of day one that my stack was above average. So that was pretty darn exciting for your boy CF. All right, let's real quick talk about one other hand that I played versus this exact same opponent. So I don't really have to set this one up. It was later, it was after dinner and almost at the very end of day two. It's the final level of the day. The blinds are 8,000, 16,000, and we have 560,000 in our stack when the average 
is only 500,000. So we're <laughs> just slightly above average. But considering, again, we started with less than 10K for the day. So just having all these chips in front of me felt, let's just say, surreal. However, and this is important for those of you who are going to spend the next few months preparing to play in this year's World Series of Poker. It does not matter how I feel. Those chips have no feelings. The cards have no feelings. And my feelings are only included here for the narrative. Okay? I just want you to know that I felt good. That should not affect my strategies. As we know, the best players in the world are the solvers. And they have no emotions whatsoever because, as far as I know, they are inanimate, non-human objects. So, all this to say... Yes, it felt good, but we still have a lot more poker to play if we're going to get this bracelet. We played so many hands with this Spanish guy, um, the ones I described, plus many, many others. He's not very aggressive. I've rarely seen him three bet. You know, the same player I just described in the previous hand. So the blinds are now 8K, 16K, and we have 560. So we have 35 big blinds, and our M is around 14 uh, I open from late position again on this player's big blind, which I always seem to raise when he's in the big blind. I make it 35,000 with pocket kings, two black kings to be exact, folds to our Spanish friend in the big blind, and he's got almost a million in his stack at this point, and he three bets for the first time all day. He makes it 110,000. I actually considered folding. <laughs> I don't think that I've ever folded kings before the flop, but the way this is all setting up, so many times I've tried to steal this player's blind and he either folded or called. And it's happened many times that I wasn't actually trying to steal his blind, but as far as he knows, I was because we never ended up showing my hands in those instances. So the dynamics between him and me and also that big hand where he had to fold for 40000 more on the river, the hand we just discussed, I feel like this player and I have a pretty significant history and it appears that he does not want to get into big pre-flop confrontations with me and is pretty willing to give up on hands and leave his children out to die, as Doyle used to say, in spots where he's put in some chips but then had to fold to my aggressiveness. So the fact that he's three-betting here, I think he's going to have a very tight range for doing so and... Probably very few bluffs. So I really thought about throwing the kings away at that point. So I can't really do it, but I thought about it. I decide to just call and hope that if I'm going to lose to pocket aces, I'm not going to lose all my chips. So the best way to do that is to keep the pot as small as I can. And the only way to do that is to just call the three bet. So we are in position with pocket kings and... There is now 250 in the middle, and we have only 450 behind, which is bad news because it sets up an SPR of below two, and it will be very hard to get away from pocket kings in the event that no ace hits the flop. The flop comes 10 of spades, 7 of diamonds, deuce of hearts. So 10, 7, deuce, rainbow, and hero holding king of spades, king of clubs. Opponent bets an absurdly low. 40,000 into the 250,000 pot, and I am unable to release my hand. I feel a lot of strength coming from this opponent, but he's got to like that flop if he's got pocket queens as well, and he should be 
three betting that hand. There's also a very small chance that he has pocket kings also. Um, but I feel like he will often show up with pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens, maybe pocket jacks. But to be honest, the way he was playing, I think he may have just flatted uh, pre-flop with that hand and not want to get into a huge pot with me when he's out of position with such a difficult hand to play as pocket jacks. So I discount that one just a little bit. Of course, he always has ace-king in his range, but again, we block that one pretty hard. So I feel like his most likely holdings are pocket aces and pocket queens. So I'm not loving the fact that he's even c-betting at all on this 10-high board, but I can't fold for 40000 getting better than 7-1 to one with my overpair. So I just flat, and now the pot is 330000 and we have only 410 behind. Uh, the turn comes the eight of hearts. So our board is now 10, seven, deuce, eight with two hearts. And opponent again fires 90,000 this time into the 330K pot. And I feel like I am being milked. He sees my stack size and he knows how much to size it. I am miserable. I, I have lost from the main event uh, in 2015. I'll never forget. How I lost two hands in a row holding pocket kings against the same player, not this player, but the same player in that tournament, Ronald McGinnity, who uh, in the first hand held pocket queens, and we got it in before the flop, and he flopped a queen on me. And on the very next hand, he held pocket aces against my pocket kings again on the very next hand, and this time he won with the aces. So I have a very bad relationship with pocket kings in the main event and uh, i've worked so hard to get my 9700 all the way up to the 500 and 560 that we started this pot with and i am miserable because it really feels like this guy has the bigger overpair uh but still he's offering me an irresistible price and i'm just not good enough guys i am not good enough to throw my hand away despite my read i call and I'm hoping, beyond hope, that this guy is sitting there with pocket queens. The river comes the tray of diamonds. So our final board is 10, 7, deuce, 8, tray. And no flush came in. And of course, our opponent shoves. Now, it's a great board for pocket queens. And it looks like I could have something like ace 10 or pocket jacks. So pocket queens is the problem. If I could rule that hand out. Somehow, I actually can fold the Kings. He feels really strong. I'm hating my life. This is for my whole tournament. And I'm sitting here with this beautiful board and this beautiful pair of Kings. But I've got a sick feeling in my stomach. I'm getting a really good price on a call. Um, you know, it's only 320000 to call. And the pot now has eight hundred. And 30,000 in it. So those are good odds when you're holding the overpair. I'm praying that, that he has pocket queens. And I'm wishing he had bet smaller or maybe check the turn. But he's too good. So what are we supposed to do? I mean, if we call the flop and we call the turn, I feel like we have to call the river. I could be wrong. I felt like I was beat, but I was unable to throw my hand away. And sure enough, we busted out of the main event when our opponent turned over. Two red aces. And I hope you guys will believe me when I tell you that I hope I never see pocket kings in the main event again.
Well, that'll do it for this episode. If you are still looking for a poker site where you can practice and learn all about hand ranges and strategies and GTO and everything else in preparation for the 2022 main event, I would recommend you visit TournamentPokerEdge.com. We have thousands of hours of incredible content from some of the greatest minds in the poker business. Andrew Brokus, Alex Fitzgerald, Daryl Jace, Colin Moshman, and so many more. And you can save $10 on your first month of membership at TournamentPokerEdge.com by using the promo code PODCAST at checkout. That's your way of telling them that I sent you. So for everyone here at TPE, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart Love nobody. Everybody, everybody.